What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Off the Dome Radio. My name is Colin Slager, and as always, along with me, Tim Allersmeyer. So today we have a very special guest for you, a, a very dear friend of mine, actually uh, one of my best friends from high school, and we were only the couple that uh, went to Butler, and he was really the only person I knew there, uh, which was awesome. And so Josh Gall... Uh, co-founded business called Train918. They do videography, uh, marketing. They are killer at what they do. So he actually started that with a fraternity brother of mine and uh, Tim's. And they grew that 250% in three years. And uh, just to give you an idea, they've traveled around the country via word of mouth, some sales, but people are really starting to know what they do. They've been on race teams, um, IndyCar series racing teams. They've interviewed and recorded uh, Olympic athletes, uh, U.S. ski, snowboard, things of that nature. So they are really top-notch at what they do. And so we also get into Josh parting ways with that business as well as it was doing. That was one of the most interesting pieces that I wanted to get into was his mindset behind that. And, you know, this company financially seemed to be doing well and I'm sure they were doing all right and with something growing with that kind of speed and good scalability why was he leaving that and he dives into he still wanted to pursue his own path and journey that he thought was more for him so he really got into that and how he was thinking how he was processing and and kind of his transition into a a different role. So he still does some Train 918 work, but he is working on his transition. And Tim, I know you haven't uh, spent as much time around Josh, so I'm interested uh, on your thoughts of this interview. Yeah, I really enjoyed this interview. Uh, Josh is a really cool guy, and you can just tell that he gets it. Like he's... He's, he's lived a cool life in terms of hit, hit growing his business, and you can tell he's been able to travel cool places and get different perspectives, and you can just tell that by the way he talks about things. He, he's very, he's very, he understands things really well. Um, he talks about sharing inf- information through whatever work you're in and giving back to people through the job. Um, I really enjoyed hearing um, just the scaling of his business and make, like bringing the right people onto his team and not sacrificing the values and morals of you and your company when you're growing your team. Um, I really enjoyed that. And just hearing about the different types of experiences he went through working with different customers, I asked him about like what a conversation with a typical customer looks like and, and taking a dream that they have with their business and turning it into a video. Like Just like hearing his perspective on how he goes about doing that understanding people's point of view but also having the confidence to insert your own opinion for the better good of the customer like i really enjoyed just how he was able to really provide value for his customers in this business that he built from a one-on-one perspective and he, he was he brought a lot of cool perspectives on that uh, i really enjoyed the interview uh, it was just cool getting getting to know him because i really hadn't been i knew he was in college but that was like the first time we've like I've spent down and hung out. I've spent time and hung out with him. Sure. And I enjoyed every minute of it. It was good. It was fun. He's uh, he's an, an addicting personality to be around. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. And uh, I'm biased as hell, but that's that's just the truth. So without further ado, here we are shooting it with our good friend Josh Gall. 
So Josh Gall, yes, sir. guest on the podcast today. Pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, of course. Uh, I've known you quite a while. Yeah. Uh, since high school. What is it now? Eight years? Seven, seven years? Uh, before seven, eight, nine, ten. But we knew each other almost before a, that. Almost kinda. 11. We knew each other before. Oh, yeah, true, true. Grade school guys, basketball days. Really go basketball. Yeah, we yeah. hooped That's against awesome. each other. It's like 12, 12 13 years. years. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy that, to think about. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, the yellow bus through Whiting. Yeah. That's where my my new friend Josh would get on. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd wake up from my morning nap. Uh, yeah. We'd get into Whiting. I'd be like, all right. <laughs> Josh is here. I'd, be, I'd be next to and the then Ar- everyone, Arnie's hot dog stand. <laughs> <laughs> Same Arnie's. Yeah. And everyone would shit on Whiting. because like, oh, it smells bad. It's like, yo, fuck you. Sit down, dude. <laughs> Josh is from Whiting. <laughs> it does smell bad though. I'll give him that. Yeah. It's hard to like. Everyone's like, "Oh, what's that smell?" I'm like, "Oh, we're we're home. We're here." Like, mm-hmm. it's not fresh. Welcome air. to my t- no, but not even remotely close. <laughs> Probably the farthest one of the farthest things from it actually. Yeah. It's funny being down in Indianapolis because people come to Indy when they come to visit. They're like, "Wow, the air is so different here, or it smells so good here." I don't smell anything. I'm like, "Yeah, like we're so far away from a refinery. That's why, yeah. <laughs> at least from from the refineries over there." So, yeah, yeah it's a, it's a bad smelling town. I bet it's cool for you each of both just to see how far each of you have come, mm. knowing each other that wild your life. It's it's pretty crazy. Yeah. I don't think there's anyone else. There's been people that, of course, like go to grade school with, and then you end up or elementary school, then you end up at high school with. But it's weird where like you know each other from grade school, you go to high school together, and then you end up at the same college together, and then you live in the same town of each other. Like I yeah. think we're probably the only. I can't think of anyone else that I've had know. that experience mm-hmm. with, which is cool. Same. So it's yeah, it's different. Twelve years is that's like, a long time. Yeah, we're the only people people from Carmel to go to. Yeah. Butler. Yeah. And well, then we both stuck around. Franco, but. Oh yeah. But he's no, I mean, he didn't go to Mount Carmel. He didn't go to Carmel. He You're went right. to Bishop. We just hung out with him all the freaking time. Yeah. So that's. He yeah, was, he was like one that. of the few real cats. Yeah. Yeah, he gave it to you straight. He's yeah. a smart dude too. Yeah. He's super smart. I forget. Yeah, he did yeah. not go to Carmel. Yeah. yeah. But so, what was your uh, actual major in college? I studied art and design, so I had art and design major, and I had a digital media production minor. Okay. Damn, there's so much cool stuff I didn't know they had. It's those it's, are sweet sounding majors. It's cool. Um, I think what I give Butler props for is like the ability to try different things right so you know your business program is going to do well you know your 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 pharmacy program is going to do well you know you know that you have those kind of core groups of people that are always going to come there your ballet uh program your dance program and it's like so they're like cool like we have our foundation we have our base like what are some more contemporary majors we can we could tack on to kind of better prepare our students and i think art and design was a good a nice uh, direction for that i think it was only like a six-year-old program or something by the time I got there, four years old or something along those wow. lines. So it was a fresh program. And then digital media production they've had for a while, but um, they're still tweaking and adding to it to make it more kind of contemporary and um, relevant um, and supply the students with the, the best resources they got. So nice. very uh, different, not a different path, not a different journey based on what I thought I would do, but um, a nice complementary kind of uh two-part my major and my minor there so it's cool so I guess growing up and like leading in to Butler and deciding on those majors what kind of how'd you kind of find that path or how did what kind of spoke to you to do that oh man uh growing up 
so my my dad used to draw comic books at home. Oh, really? All the time, yeah. And uh, so he would just, like, up and draw Spider-Man. And I'm like, wow, like, how did you do that? Like, I literally <laughs> said, draw Spider-Man. And you didn't look at anything, and you drew Spider-Man. And then showed me, like, the cover of a comic book and, like, compared them and stuff. So there was kind of that experience of growing up with uh, my dad kind of doing illustrations like that. Um, and then my mom being super supportive of just, like, hey, whatever you're comfortable doing, like, whatever makes you happy, like, go for it. So I remember drawing, like... Uh, lowrider bicycles and cars and um just bmx bicycles all the time so i was always like sketching and drawing stuff and then of course like building legos but trying to be as creative and as as kind of different as possible and um just kind of that like having fun and like problem solving and like differently you know like Mm -hmm. through drawing or through building or or through taking things apart even like I used to take apart uh, model cars all the time because I was like, how do these things actually, or RC cars, like how do these things actually work? So I think just like that thought process it, like started to get me into the more creative fields. Um, and then as time went on, it just kind of started to make sense, kind of realized what graphic design was. And I can't remember at one point, but someone was like, hey, like, they're like the best way to describe graphic design is, you know, go to the, a grocery store and look at all the labels on the shelf and like someone had to make those labels like without graphic designers without graphic media like you wouldn't have those labels like you wouldn't have those things and i was like wow like it's very tangible like i get it now so then you see like billboards and advertisement everywhere and you see uh, book covers and stickers and your clothes that you wear and you're like wow people are designing these things and people are using their creative abilities to make this a reality so that's when i started thinking more seriously about kind of art school and like the thought of an artistic major or a um, an art school uh, um, degree or something along those lines and that's where that kind of transitioned into that path so it started when I was young mm-hmm. um, and then just kind of kind of took off and just grew as time went on so yeah and like you said it's good that you had the support of your parents to kind of be creative like that yeah. and, and go and do what you actually want to do so I feel like parents tend to push sometimes their kids on down a path that, that they want but it's good that they kind of let you take the reins on that just be creative especially with your dad and stuff there was definitely a point when my mom was talking to me about like electrical engineering because I really wasn't you know I wasn't sure what I wanted to do for a, certain, a little bit of time there and we were like looking into it looking into it and I was just like I just don't I like I get it I understand what electrical engineering is but like I'm not really interested like that's not me you know yeah. and then it just like took some of those moments to think back and be like okay design or art and I was like cool like they've supported me they they are allowing me to do these things and to try these things like why not really go for it and take it to the next step and mm-hmm. and not necessarily take I wouldn't say a safe path because I don't think any path is necessarily safe and they're all, they all have their own challenges um, but at least uh, take something that take and run with something that is more like uh, re- revolves around like self-expression you know yeah so. cool yeah. I was gonna say ever since I knew you in high school you're always drawn always drawn then biology class be like someone mistook art for something else it's like nah dude you're just drawn it was i think the amount of sketchbooks i've looked back in that just have sketches everywhere uh-huh. and it's like half notes but they're really not that good of notes anyways like because i really i was paying attention but i don't know my retention just wasn't that great and then it's just sketches all around <laughs> it so the amount of notebooks i would go through to try to find information for a test or whatever <laughs> and there's just a sketch and a sketch and then i'm like ooh, i really want to keep that and i'd yeah. cut it out and like throw it in a pile yeah it's like oh 
Damn, that's a good one. Yeah. Go me. Okay, we're keeping this. Like, oh, can I build on that? All right, well, cool. What was I looking for? Yeah, exactly. Just attach like, it. Lens Sorry, attest? I, I didn't have the answer, but I do have this. Yeah. Just like get a glue stick. They asked me the question, and I just draw it instead. I'm like, here you go. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's how you can visualize it, at least. Yeah, so. yeah. that's what it means to me. Yeah. Sometimes, this is what I was yeah. thinking when we covered this topic. Exactly. I was like, Romeo and Juliet. I'm like, I'll just draw that. Like, that makes more sense <laughs> for me to draw. Like, that's fine. So... People learn better in pictures anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a visual learner. I am a visual learner. Like, if I can, someone can show me how to do it, I can do it. Yeah. But if someone's going to read it to me, like, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. It's just how, it's the way I learn. That's why I quit buying math books. (laughs) I can't learn math from a book. (laughs) I just can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still have all those sketchbooks with you today or? Not, not with me. I got a small apartment. Um, Mm -hmm. But, I mean, back home, I know my mom has a ton, a ton of books. We kept yeah. so much stuff, um, mostly just to see it and just, like, scrapbook and have those memories. But partially, too, probably because I've tucked them away somewhere. I, I'm, like, really organized, like, very, very organized. Um, I'm kind of obsessed with being organized. Mm-hmm. So I, every, so like, once a year, I'd always, like, reorganize all my stuff and throw some things away and then, like, condense and consolidate some things too so like every year from high school on even till like now I'm always doing that so I know there's a selection of of notebooks I have some underneath uh sketchbooks underneath my bed back in my apartment and I know I have a tub of them back at my mom's house so a lot of those sketches from math class and stuff in high school and even like elementary school like I have I have a ton of those sketches still which is cool so it's cool it's uh it's interesting to see how it's changed like style and interests and um uh, the ability to like look at something and get different information and regurgitate it and visualize it too that's changed a lot since elementary school and high school and college and stuff too so it's awesome did you have like a favorite style or favorite place or object that you liked to to mess around with and tweak i was big into street art like graffiti like mm. not necessarily doing it because you know that's illegal but um so you were the one that did all but, that <laughs> but going no, through no, just and like the design yeah, didn't just do the it design. just learned from it um but going back through and just the attempt to try to do lettering and like typography and and use these like bright vibrant colors to tell a different story um so there's a lot of stuff that i would just try to do lettering like do my name um and try it a different way and try it a different way and then like see, keep a piece and come back to it later and try a different way so there's always that element and then too just like abstract uh, geom- uh ooh, wow abstract shapes um, just doing like circles and squares and triangles and like making them tell their own story or flow differently and then putting like 3D elements to it and just like creating something different but I don't know I messed with a lot of different stuff just to, to try it just to see it um, but mostly like street art style stuff was a was a big street art and like skateboard culture mm. were big things for me growing up so those are things that I referenced when I was drawing so. cool. were there any uh, any like big time artists or like mentors or like people you looked up to growing up or anybody you idolized or something like that yes a different like there's always there's always a different set of either people individuals or groups companies artists or styles that Mm -hmm. I'm really into at the moment so the thing that I'm actually like pretty proud of myself for the most part is is um, like from when I started being kind of artistic and expressing that creativity through sketching or through other things um, it's always changed like my references my inspiration has always changed like 
some people are very proud of just having one inspiration and one muse and like going back to that that artist um, and whether it's like a painter or a musician and like always getting inspiration for them I don't function that way like I I have to keep exploring keep changing so I may be into someone this year for two years or three years or four years or five years and then I may see someone else that I think is even taking that style to another level and like we'll follow that person or follow that that crew or the, those people or that company um, so it seems like every minute it kind of could change um, but I think that's what I'm most happy about I do um, even to, like transitioning that a little bit even to my professional careers like I spend two or three hours a day researching stuff like just sitting there and researching getting information figuring out what's out there figuring out what people are doing and uh, I think that's kind of goes back from just being curious about it and like not being a, not being stuck with one style or like one inspiration um, it's just being willing to take in so much information and, and figure out what people are doing and then making it your own and throwing it back out to the world getting feedback taking it in again throwing it out and so on and so forth so I mean there's a ton of artists and ton of people and a ton of places that inspire me but for the most part it changes all the time and I that's something that's really excited for me yeah um, so that's awesome do you have a favorite artist this year favorite artist this year or style like is there something you're super a, into now it's a great question um, I know you're always changing favorite artist there's a um there's a photographer right now that i'm really into uh his name's uh patrick chin and he does like lifestyle and food and drink photography he's mm. based out of winter park florida um and his style is just it's so smooth it's classic it's timeless um he does a lot of uh like kind of hotel photos mm. and um food photos and cocktail photos and so i'm like looking at those and figuring out how he's lighting it or how he's modifying light, um, what he's putting in the foreground compared to the background, um, the angles he's shooting it at, trying to dissect like the different lenses that maybe he's using. I just, that's something I, I wanna be really, really great at photography. Not necessarily wanting to be a photographer, but I just wanna understand it and be able to do it and apply it. And if that in the term makes me a photographer, then cool. But um, I just, I really like his style right now. And I just listened to a, a podcast that he was on to talk about it. And that was kind of, that was inspiring just to, to know that he's also had to take a huge journey and like he didn't try to be a photographer it just kind of happened and yeah um he did it out of necessity and then it became a reality and it made sense and he's enjoyed it and he's still um modifying his craft and he's a he's someone that i'm like looking at a lot right now too so mm -hmm. had yeah. your chins out there yeah. that's awesome because it's not really about falling in love with being a photographer it's falling mm -hmm. in love with like the why behind it mm -hmm. and the art that it creates and like what it means to you so i think for most people whether you're creative or not i think it's about sharing something with someone mm -hmm. and like providing whether it's information or like support for someone and i think people do that through photography i think people do that through accounting i think people do that through you know physical therapy like whatever it is and i think that's what interests me the most and kind of based off what we were just talking about too is like if you're giving back to people through something, photography or whatever your occupation is or whether your passion is, like, that's what really matters. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think there's people out there, and so maybe there, there definitely is, but at least not me, is like, I don't do photography because I'm obsessed with it and I have to do it, or I don't, or do a creative craft in general. Is like, I don't do it all for me selfishly. Like, it's to give back and to help people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, share that information, share that knowledge, and like, support them and like, kind of give kind of give through the craft so. yeah that's awesome yeah. I look at photography so different now 
Yeah, for nuts. sure. <laughs> Blew my mind. Yeah. It's just like I never think of like someone telling a story or like giving a shape a different story. Yeah. Like you were saying with the graffiti art. Like I don't, I've never thought of it in those terms. So yeah. now it's like when I look at something, it's going to be different. Like especially if it's like from a photographer mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. something food and drink and not just like, like, yeah, let me see all your meals. <laughs> yeah. What's on the menu? What's the special this week? Yeah. yeah. Right. Don't forget to let me know what's on tomorrow's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll, I'll see you at noon. Yeah. But, I think, uh, uh, I think so. what's cool about it is, like, you look at places around Indianapolis, too. Like, talking about small businesses here, it's like, you know, La Piedad. We all love La Piedad, right? Right. I mean, but what's cool about what they're doing in general is, like, they're sharing their their life, their background, their culture. Like, they're, they're sharing what they love to people. Now, some people go there as consumers, and they just buy the product, and they don't think twice about it. And they're like, you know, I want some tacos and guacamole and whatever like let's move on but to them it's it's much more and like that's that's what i find interesting like i like supporting people and businesses and um just communities that that take that approach and that's kind of goes back to that photography thing too is like people are wanting to share themselves they just do it through different like outlooks mm -hmm. so, I like awesome. that. so then did you get into like more arts and design uh, right from school. I know you started a business. At what point in school did that start? Yeah. So studying art and design from the, from the get-go, I wanted to do something in art and design. I didn't know what it was right away. As time went on, I kind of realized I was really interested in graphic design. And I was like, for the longest time, I was like, I'm going to be a graphic designer. Like, no doubt about it. Like, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to go work at a company or an agency and be a graphic designer. But then, too, just with the the ability to get a minor and ability to work with people on campus and get into digital media production, so we're talking about photography and, and video specifically for me, uh, or videography, um, that opened the door to apply some of that like art and design thinking and fundamentals and techniques to a digital medium like photography and videography and stuff. So I knew I wanted to do something with design or graphic design but then I was kind of like battling out I'm like wait more people are interested in that I know or right now in photography and video so like let's just give it a try so then I would say like sophomore year was a more photo video year um, and then I took a, a trip to Germany through the communications college with um, at that point who was a friend of mine Tim Valentine uh, then soon to be a business partner um, but we took a trip together and we shot everything on GoPros and it was kind of after that point where it was like, okay, I'm interested in this art and this design and these things, but I can apply all those concepts through the lens of a camera too. So how can we work together to do that more often? Um, so came, coming back junior year of, of college was this, like, who can we provide photos for? Who can we provide videos for? Um, and eventually we got around and we got a, a chance meeting with the director of, of marketing at Butler University and he was like hey I want to give you guys a chance here like go and make something you have two weeks you're going to present it to me and like if we like it then you guys will get a chance to work with us and like paid like not just like hey come and help us out and shoot yeah. free stuff it was like right. no like if you impress us like we will pay you to do your craft we'll pay you to to um, work on what you're passionate about through the lens of Butler University so it was like our junior year where things started to kind of come full circle and it was like, wow, people are, they like our work. You know, we had our meeting, uh, people are hiring us and we're getting paid as college students by the college to provide content for them, which was really cool. Um, so we did that for all of probably mostly of junior year, um, okay. definitely on the back half. 
and then kind of came back our senior and just like hit the ground running was producing work for local uh, companies in indianapolis and uh, then producing work for the university and the police department um and just like really kind of i mean still focused on school and and all those things but really focused on the transition to the professional world and what that looked like so yeah i mean freshman year knew i wanted to do art and design i was gonna be a graphic designer by the time i was a senior i had a video camera in my hand almost every day and uh kind of were taking the techniques I learned and transitioning to a different medium, really, you know, so. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that, the active shooter video. Yeah. That was the, I, thinking back to it, that was the first probably video I saw that you, you guys made. Okay. I was very, I was, I was very, <laughs> I was very impressed. Like, I was on the edge of my seat watching it. Yeah. Probably gonna have to post that again, just because yeah. how awesome it was, but. Yeah. Me loving the Indy 500 growing up, yeah. I always loved when I'd see you guys post about your racing shoots. Yeah. Uh, I'd be all in on those. It was intense. Like, I was never, not that I wasn't into racing, but I just never, I was nothing, I were, there was nothing there that I necessarily understood or uh, it was never, I don't know, it never stood out to me just because I didn't know that much about it. Sure. But once we got into it and I spent a whole year with the IndyCar team traveling every race weekend with them and producing video content for a sports marketing agency, um, that essentially was, uh, their client was the the, the, the uh, IndyCar team. And uh, you just get so into it. Like, I remember uh, going through it and trying to come back and telling my girlfriend all about it. And she was like, I have no clue what you're talking about, but you're like <laughs> super excited and like clearly you're into this now and i remember like so i did it for a year and then after that year the contract switched and i wasn't with the team anymore but i remember like on sundays watching the races like waking up and like watching it in the middle of the afternoon or whatever and being like so into it and trying to explain it to people and yet again my girlfriend's like i don't like i'm gonna leave like see you later like i don't know why you're still watching <laughs> this yeah. language to me. exactly she's like, like you never like, watch yeah. racing <laughs> and now all of a sudden you're into it and you know all about it and you're following it and stuff but that was fun, man. I, I was fortunate enough to film the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500, which is a great experience. Um, if you have not gone to the Indy 500, you need to go, whether you're into racing or not. When those cars come around the first, when they come in and, the, and it goes green and they come around the, the last turn and head into the straightaway, it's just like, and they go flying by you, and you're like, wow. It's like best. It's so rare to be close to something like that that really is a spectacle like as much as you hear people call it like it is a spectacle and it's something that is almost as like this out-of-body experience um and it's loud and it's crazy and people are you know cheering for their people and their teams and um it's intense it's a ton of work but those were some those were some really good times those are times where i had a camera in my hand like five days a week um, was editing turning around projects in 24 to 48 hours and Ooh. meeting a ton of new people that i never thought i would meet um I think I was in California like four times that year and Florida twice and Phoenix another time. It was just like going all throughout the U.S. to all these tracks and like big and small towns, you know what I mean? And uh, that was a that was eye-opening and and that was kind of reflecting back on that was was a just kind of teach you to keep your mind open to a bunch of things because you're not sure what you're going to be interested in until you go for it, until you work with people, until you like step foot in their shoes and be like, cool, like what are you doing today? And then you're like, wow, that's interesting. Can I learn more? Um, yeah. So that was a, yeah, that was a fun, that was a fun experience. Yeah. Um, Do you have a favorite trip? Ooh, favorite trip. I mean, California sounds pretty cool. Sounds yeah, awesome. they were all awesome. I, but you went to Colorado a couple times too, didn't you? I was always jealous of those. 
I've gone to Colorado for fun, for skiing. Okay. We had a uh, we had a client last year um, pay us to go out to uh, Copper Mountain, Colorado, and film the uh, their free skiing and snowboarding national championship, and that was a ton of fun. We were in Copper Mountain. Uh, at Center Village for 14 days. Wow. So we were filming, producing content, working with people, and then, like, also skiing and, and hanging out and, like, getting to know the area. And that was an experience that I just never thought was going to happen. And at that point, we had actually, we were selling the job and working on the job without even knowing how to ski. So we started working on the job about a year in advance. And we're selling it like we were so comfortable with skiing and filming these things and this kind of outdoor lifestyle. And immediately in there, like, hey, we're taking this pretty serious we'd love for you guys to come out we we're like cool we need to learn how to ski pronto um we went to perfect north uh, in southern indiana there three times took a trip to steamboat springs colorado um and then essentially showed up on site like sight unseen and we're working with people that were olympic athletes and like skiing behind them trying to get down the, the mountain with our camera equipment and stuff and yeah i remember showing up i got there before our team did because they were in they were in um Houston, I think, for another project. So I drove out there, drove drove out there with most of the gear, and showed up. And I had to do a scout, so I had to go up to the top of the hill and come down with an Olympic athlete and someone that's a, a photographer for the the series that's been doing it for years and grew up on a snowboard, and like ski behind them and keep up with them and like get to the different courses and the different jumps and and all that and like keep up and then like get all the information and then ski to the next one and get all the information. And that was that was an experience too. That's you, cool. How did you film that? Did you have like a GoPro like attached to you, or did you actually have to hold something while you were? No, doing that? we ne- we didn't do for the just the sake of not ruining any like equipment or, or hurting ourselves or hurting anyone else. We always just would ski to a spot with our gear either on our backs or okay. we're holding it, and then we'd click out of our skis okay. and then set up, gotcha. and then we would tear it all down, move to the next spot, and kind of keep doing that. Mm-hmm. There's a there was definitely equipment we had with us where we could try to ski behind people. I think now if someone was like, hey, could you ski behind someone? Like, I could do it, mm-hmm. and it would be a lot of fun. Uh, but I think in the time, it was more about, like, let's not, you know, show up on day two of 14 and try to do something really kind of silly and mess up our equipment and then um, kind of tell them, like, well, yeah. sorry, like, we, we fell, we messed up our equipment. Yeah. Like, what are we going to do for the next 12 days? So we kind of yeah. we played it safe. Yeah. I mean, we had already kind of risked it by learning how to ski in the, the year leading up to it and then so we were like we were pretty chill about it mm-hmm. um, but they were a ton of help too they they would provide a snowmobile or a sled and all this stuff to help if we were if we had to get to really weird places or even in the morning we did a sunrise shoot they like took us up there with all of our equipment we didn't have to worry about it which is mm-hmm. nice so um they were very very helpful in that process as well too so what it sounds like you worked with a diverse array of clients i guess how how did you guys set yourself up for success by expanding the different people you worked with? Like, was there a single thing you did, like, like service-wise? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, you guys produce good content, but is, is there anything that was, like, key to your success of expanding and leading on to the next client? Well, so, Tim and I, so we started Train Now and 8 in college. So it was our fall semester of our senior year. And we started it, and it was very successful, ran it for the last three years. And I think part of that success, and the reason we knew we wanted to start it, was that we were nimble enough to become essentially a part of the companies we were working for. Mm. We were small enough, he and I were handling all the accounts, so all the correspondence, all of the work, for the most part, 
um, we were boots on the ground doing it. Uh, we, we did do you know subcontractors and, and bring in freelancers and expand our crew based on the shoots, but any kind of like general emails or phone calls and meetings, like we were there. There was never a time where we, we probably weren't both there together for the most part um, until, of course, the last year or so when things have just gotten so busy and so many clients and things like that. So um, what, what allowed us to work with a bunch of different people is we became a part of their company and we cared and we wanted to learn everything about them. So before we did any work, we would try to learn as much information about them and figure out really what problem they're having. Like if they were like, people aren't coming to our events or whatever it is, or people aren't following us on social media, we'd like, we'd kind of go back through the list and try to do some research and ask them really hard questions to figure out why that was and figure out the root of the problem and then use content to solve those problems. Um, But it was also us doing it. And I think, you know, when we first started working, I think the first year we did no sales. It was all word of mouth and referrals. And I think taking the time to commit to these companies, sitting down, asking the hard questions, hearing them out and listening, and then like working with them through any problem that might come up, it, um, allowed them to get, have the confidence to say, have you met these guys? Like you need to meet them. And if you haven't met them, like you need to go and talk to them or get coffee and then you should work with them. So a lot of people like first year was all referrals. Uh, second year was half still like half referrals and word of mouth. So I think we just took the time to be nimble and to be agile and ask questions and then listen and then work our butts off to just figure out how we can help these people. Um, big clients, small clients, it didn't matter, friends. Um, and then that we, I would say got a good reputation and people trusted us and people wanted to tell their friends about us and tell their colleagues about us and tell their network about us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that allowed us just to branch out. I mean, yeah. people were reaching out left and right and um, you know, you had people in the medical arena and the medical industry and then people in the the outdoor extreme sports and adventure sports arena. So um, that just allowed us to kind of expand pretty quickly in that regard. Yeah. That's awesome because you. Guys, it's good that you guys didn't devote to one one sector. Like you guys took the time to learn about each business. And we that's cool. we also. I mean, there's a lot of things that people don't see about businesses, right? So, I mean, with the first year we did try to provide a ton of services that weren't video, that didn't work, and we realized they didn't work, and we were charging, you know, less money in total for the project, and it was taking triple the amount of time. And there was just a good talk where Tim and I sat down and we're like we need to change this because this isn't sustainable. What are we the best at and what are we most efficient at and where can we like really impact people where they're interested as well? And that's where that like kind of crossover of uh, video production happened too. So there was a lot of learning to get to those points and kind of like refining to then um, kind of make the things most efficient uh, when working with clients or when providing services or even having a conversation with people. It was very clear that we were a video production company, mm-hmm. um, and I think that helped us a lot too. So, gotcha. so after <clears throat> you said year two was about half and half, mm-hmm. uh, did that stay consistent or did that kind of start tipping more sales or were you guys meeting with only some and then still had other people that like, hey, you got to go meet with these people now? There was definitely um, a nice mix of, of kind of retainer work going in from like year two to three. Okay. Um, where we would already worked with someone. They had enjoyed the product that we gave them, and they were like, we need to have you come back out because we need more more work. Um, so I would say kind of transition. We're still referrals. I would say probably maybe like 15 to 25% at that point, maybe. 
uh, probably closer to 15. And then it was like the retainer work. And then half of it was people who were now finding us on social media. We're now finding us um, via our website or um, seeing work when they were at an event or something along those lines. Okay. And they were like, wow, who did that work? And then the person would you know, go and mention us. And then they would do their research and compare us versus other companies. And if they were getting bids, of course, you know, getting it from three people. But at least they were including us now because they've either, you know, were able to find us online pretty easily. Or, and, and then also maybe seeing our work secondhand uh, some kind of way. So people were just becoming more familiar with the company, and that was allowing people to reach out more easily. Um, we did do a ton of sales, though. Like uh, you had mentioned, the Active Aggressor style videos that we were producing. There's not a lot of video production companies out there that are doing public safety videos of that mm-hmm. nature um, and trying to help people through that lens. Um, so that was something that we would sell, you know, we'd finish one. And I remember Tim just going through LinkedIn and going through email chains and all this stuff, and just reaching out to as many people as he could that were in that market and saying like, this is important. We want to help you. How can we work together? Um, and then that resulted in, you know, I think at this point we've done four, I think Tim's lined up to do at least two more this year, if not four. Um, so that's something too, that was like having that, we do have some of those little niche kind of markets and industries and, and topics, but then to still taking on work, because you learn from either or, right? You learn from the niche work that you do, and then you also learn from the work that's outside of your comfort zone or um, not something you do all the time. So we were still just trying to learn as much as we could and, mm-hmm. and apply those those things to it too. So. so from year one to three, it sounds like you guys got some good traction on that time frame. So from like a, a scaling point of view, like, what was that growth like? How big was it from year one to year three um, in terms of size, I guess, whether that's revenue or people? How'd that all kind of look? Um, over the last two years, we grew the business 250%, which was awesome in terms of uh, when you're talking about the financial bit there. Um, yeah, he said 250. That's 250. 250%. No periods in yeah. there. When you're talking about the team element, we had one full-time employee for a year and a half. Okay. Um, so about that, like, just after that, you know, getting into, you know, almost into year two right there, through year three. Um, and then we had three interns at one point in the summer just because, uh, I mean, we talked a little bit about Butler, but Butler has a great supply of talent. And we had some really great teachers that were willing to say, hey, you should go meet these these guys that are doing something different and they're young alumni and you should check them out. And we got to meet some very, very talented Butler students that we, you know, two of them we brought on for a summer. Um, and even to that point of work now, I think one of them's worked for two summers or two years really, um, or year and a half, and is going to work again this summer. And um, so that, that helped us a lot as we were doing a wide variety of work. We were doing a good job. Um, a really good job working really well together and then bringing on extra talent to help fill the gaps if we needed it and then that ultimately resulted in, in the growth that we had so that's awesome what was uh, like one of the maybe biggest things in terms of scaling properly or some of the hiccups mm-hmm. that you had along the way but because everyone wants to grow as fast as yeah. they can how did you guys kind of navigate those waters um, with such good traction, but still yeah. kind of keep it under control. We we knew if we grew too quickly that we would have to scale back quickly at some point. So we knew right away we didn't want to do that. 
So everything we did, we, we were risk takers in the sense of like starting a business in college, maintaining that for three years, you know, from college to after college, um, taking jobs with maybe not having the most amount of skill in that field and then working our ass off to just learn it. Um, but in terms of, of scaling, it was that was more of a reserve thing. It, we had a lot of conversations. Where it was like, do we need to move to this office? Do we need to bring on a full-time person? Do we need to uh, bring someone on that's like contractual or not? Uh, and a lot of the times it was, um, it was almost like we'd say no to something like three to five times before we were like, okay, if we have to keep talking about it, we should probably move forward with it. <laughs> so we definitely kind of played that game as like, if we had to keep bringing it up, if we had to keep talking about it, if we had to keep problem solving, then it was worth to bring someone on or at least expand that part of our network to more subcontractors or more freelance um, um, professionals, right? So um, we definitely took our time with that. And we also knew that we still wanted to be hands-on. The thing that was different about us is not necessarily different, but we wanted to be doing the work. Uh, I think it's easy for people that maybe have a concept or an idea and they're then trying to share that idea with people. Of course, they're willing to take on as many people as they can to spread that concept, that idea, or grow that product, right? We were like, no, we want to do this because we care about it and we're passionate about it and we want to be hands-on and we want to be boots on the ground and these are life experiences that we get to have. Like, we're not just doing all this work to then just give it to a bunch of other people for them to have these experiences. Like, we're working hard for, for these adventures, right? Um, so we were like, no, like, we can do the work. Like, we can do the work. We can do the work. We can do the... And then it really wasn't until we had to, like I said, like, ask something or debate something three to five times. I was like, all right, maybe we should change things up. But even then, like I said, we've had one full-time employee. It's not like we were like, hey, you're fresh out of college and you want to work for cheap and you want to get experience cool join our team like it just wasn't like that because we cared so much about the integrity of the business mm -hmm. um by growing too quickly we would we would um hinder that and we would um affect that that integrity so mm -hmm. we kind of chose not to it's what, cool. what was some of the i mean obviously it's it's a big trust factor bringing someone onto your team is is there any single like characteristic or things you looked for in people? Obviously, they had to have the skill set, mm -hmm. but like the intangibles. Is there anything that was like especially important to you bringing those people on? Attitude. Mm -hmm. Like if you show up, if you show up and you're willing to to work and to be there, and not just to make money, but you actually want to provide something. If you mm -hmm. want to, you know, bring more energy, or if you want to bring a different perspective like if you're willing to show up and, and share that information share that knowledge and share that um, um, even just like you know emotion like that was that was something that we saw like when when someone came to, to set or came to the office and their energy and their attitude was positive and they were like ready to go and they were excited like we were immediately attracted to them um, so in our case with the person that we ended up hiring is we were working with a subcontractor. The subcontractor wanted to have help for that day. The person that we normally would hire wasn't available. So he was like, Hey, I have someone, let me bring, um, I think you guys will like him. Uh, and he was freelancing out of Cincinnati at the time and he showed up and his, um, his attitude, even he smiled the whole time. He was extremely helpful. He didn't complain. Uh, was willing to just work hard and provide any knowledge or information and share things that he was, you know, kind of feeling in that moment. And that was just attractive. Like being able to say, hey, how's everyone feeling? And he was like, let's, like, this is awesome. Like, let's do it. That was so cool. And like someone that's just excited and has the skills all at the same time is like that kind of perfect, that yeah. perfect match. So, um, and two, honestly, just being a nice person in general. Like if, 
it's the small things, right? That like if someone holds the door, and you're like, oh wow, like if you're surprised or something, I don't know. Yeah. But you Going know, out just of your way small, to do exactly yeah. small things like that. Um, saying thank you, saying hi, smiling at a client, um, picking up something that really isn't your job, but then you pick it up and you do it anyways, and you're like, hey, don't worry about it. Like we had to do it, so like we got it done. Like just small things like that um, really stand out. Yeah. Because that's contagious, too. Exactly. Like, it spreads to other people for the well-being of the unit. Yeah. So. Yeah, when you have someone that shows up and they're like, I'm here to do the best that I can, and, like, they allow people to see that, and they kind of share that just through their energy and their mannerisms, like, that, like you said, is contagious and catches on. So then that makes, you know, Tim or I show up and go, cool, we can do this. Like, mm-hmm. and then, like, the whole group is more positive. That's awesome. Um, and it's a better experience for everyone. For our client, who is ultimately paying for the product, um, or the service and then for us and then for subcontractors and ultimately potential employees and, and interns and partners so did you have to interview a lot of people to find those people uh, we actually only interviewed one person um, before we decided to go and, and hire someone full-time and that was because we knew the person okay. um, and we had had experience working with them before and we enjoyed their work we enjoyed their style but they were on a good path on their own and it didn't make sense for them to switch their their path and their journey. And then it came time to, we were kind of going, actually, sorry, that's, I lied, there's two people. Someone drove up from, I wanna say Chicago, it could be wrong. I think it was Chicago. He drove up from Chicago, met with us in the office and his, it just wasn't a right fit and we knew it right away. Um, so I think we had like two interviews of two people. One we were like interested in, but. He wasn't necessarily interested in us or making the change. One that we were not interested in, but he was very interested in us. And then someone that we had just met on set and who came and who was essentially doing freelance work. And we brought him back in for, I think, two more meetings, two more kind of informative sessions, and then kind of made an offer and and talked through that whole process. And then it worked out. So we had our first employee. Cool. Could you... Could you, like, walk through, I guess, the process, like, typical process of from the time you meet a client, mm-hmm. like, interview them and whatever, to, like, the final production? I know it's different. Yeah. I know it's different, Ooh, but, like, just okay. an overview. <laughs> Get out your notebook. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, it's totally... I'm going to adjust this. You're good. Yeah. It's totally different for every project, mm-hmm. but there are some, some things that are very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in the broad scope of things, if you just break it out, you have pre-production so everything that happens before the production you know bringing out the cameras and doing the work you have production which is could be one day it could be a couple hours it could be five days it could be two weeks just depends on the project and that's actually like boots on the ground getting the content um and then you have post-production which is you take it to the editing floor and you you know put in your video editing software and you bring it to life um and then delivery at the end of that Mm -hmm. of course so say someone reaches out, they're usually reaching out because they want something very specific. Um, it's rare where someone reaches out and they're like, we don't really know what we want to do, but we want to do something like that wasn't, that wasn't something that we found very common. So someone would usually reach out via email, phone call, um, and say, here's what we're interested in. At that point, we'd either, we'd, we'd usually set up a phone call and the phone call, that first phone call is like to vet, like just to see, you know, is this a right fit for them? Are we a right fit for them? Are we a right fit? for doing the work that they want to do 
um, does this do? Can we align in this process? And you have that kind of introductory phone call, and through that kind of comes a proposal or a bid. Uh, just depends on how big the the client is or the company is. Um, so phone call and then proposal and then usually a face-to-face meeting if the proposal goes well and it's accepted or they have follow-up questions. Um, usually at that meeting, it's just like a general introduction again, and maybe you're meeting someone who isn't the account lead or the, the project lead, and you're meeting their colleagues and stuff. So you're meeting, you know, going from one person to meeting three or four other people. Um, and then at that point, it starts to the really nitty-gritty part of the pre-production process. If the, the proposal is approved, then our team will go out and do um, a scout, like a location scout. Um, and even before that, create a concept. Like, here's our concept. Here's the video we have to do. Um, here's what it's going to take, roughly. And then we go out and find those locations where we need to film that content in. Um, go into the location scout. Um, kind of work through all the problems that could be and see what could be fixed by working with the location or the client or figure out things that can't be fixed and then adjust from there. Um, usually kind of presenting all that information back to them, a concept, the location, your information. So like, here's how long the production is going to be. Um, here's what it's going to take to make this happen. Here's what you could expect. Um, and kind of doing a, a treatment in terms of the video with the locations and stuff to say, here's the style of the video we, we're going to create for you. Getting feedback, revising it if need be, or they accept it. Um, and then you kind of just preparing your team, your crew, your equipment, um, your schedules, your questions, whatever it is, uh, leading up to the days of production. And then you show up on site and you do whatever the scope of the work is for them. Um, you get all of your information, you back it up. We have these hard drives, right? So you get it all onto this hard drive, take that hard drive after the production, and you take it back to the office. And then at that point, you you should have, because of a lot of meticulous planning and, and conversation and correspondence with the client, you should have everything you need to move forward with editing the video um, or series of videos, whatever it is. So usually at that point in post-production, it is like rough cuts or story cuts where you're taking information from interviews and you're putting it in a timeline and you're sharing that with the client saying, is this the story you want to tell? Like, don't worry about what you're going to see. Don't worry about music. Don't worry. Like, is this what you want to hear? Um, and then we'll get into everything else. And once they kind of approve, like, yes, that's the story, that's the message, then we'll start to add those, like, I mean, the music may already be in there, but then we start to really fine tune the music and then start to get to the visual. So putting what we call B-roll. So clips of people doing work or um, whatever the client, whatever the company is, um, clips of that visually, laying that over the interviews or the message that they're saying it could be a voiceover to, and then trying to visually tell that story now. Uh, and then kind of going through a series of, of revisions to getting their feedback and then ultimately fine tuning the piece. So um, that means like mastering your audio um, and doing like sound design and things like that. Um, adding color to your clips, like we call it color correction or color grading is another element of that. Um, and then to end, ending any kind of like informative, like call to action graphics or something. So you've got all of that comes together to make your final piece. And then you export that out and whether it's 15 seconds, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, minute and a half, two and a half minutes, 17 minutes, you know, whatever it is and delivering that to, to your client. So the big stages are pre-production, production and post-production. And then there's little things that happen within those, and each person has specific roles throughout that whole time too. So, yeah, it's a lot of back and forth, and 
it's a, and there's a lot of trust too because like i said in our experiences the people come to us and they know what they want but they don't know how to bring it to life yeah and then that's where our expertise comes in and saying cool you want this like here's how it's going to happen and you could do it you know here or you could do it here you could do it this way here's our favorite one here's the one that we trust here's the one that we think makes the most sense but like give us your feedback and let's go from there yeah. so i really like how you tell them don't worry about music or what it's going to look like yeah is this the message yeah. yes or no mm-hmm. i like that because like being on the other side of that would be exciting mm-hmm. like ooh, what do they got going on over there like what, yeah. what's brewing in the pot you know mm-hmm. so but, i think that's cool and then it's like you force them to just let you do what you guys do because mm-hmm. that's that's your area of expertise let them do their thing you do yours so i really like that part of that kind of correspondence one of the things we tried to do is like we had i mean of course like a video or or anything like this podcast in general it's layers right it's you talking it's me talking it's you know then you layer it together to tell the best story right and for us it was like if the music can live on its own then it's strong if the message can live on its own without everything else then it's strong if the visuals can live on its own without everything else it's strong piece and then you're kind of just like slowly layering those together and blending those to make it the strongest that it can be. And that was the approach we took a lot. It was like the audio has to be strong. The visuals have to be strong. All the special things that go around it, all the yeah. bedazzles and the jewels, like that has to be as strong as it can. And it, if one of those things, like you're only as, what, as good as your layer, your yeah. worst layer, you know? Right. So like if your music is terrible, you could have the best visuals. It doesn't matter because people are going to hear the, the music and be like, what is this? Or yeah. if your mixing is up and down and it's like, seems like someone's like this close to the microphone and then like this close to the microphone yeah. the whole time, like no one's going to enjoy that. Right. So yeah. um, you have to make sure everything is as strong as it can be and then blend it together. And that was something that we really like worked hard on was trying to find the best blend of everything. To, to probably tell the story. Damn, I like that mindset. That's awesome. Can't st- if it can't stand on its own. It's not strong enough. Yeah, I wow. like that. Mm. As I listen to some people laughing and being loud next to her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what we talk about, and then we have all this ambient noise. <laughs> Were there ever... Get uh, got. Obviously, the customer's always right. Like, the person, like, what, what they want to tell their story... They want to tell it a certain way, but obviously you guys do what you do. Were there ever any times where you wanted to like take the consultative aspect and be like, "Hey, like you guys want to do it this way, but if we turn it do it this way, it can make it better." Did you ever, did you ever have like tough conversations like that? Situations All the time, like that? Yeah. yeah. I I think yes, the customer, the client, the person that you're helping—I'll call it helping—even though it's you know, providing a service, like they're going to be right because it's what they're seeking, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is they wouldn't reach out to you if they knew it. Right. completely if if you know if they're reaching out it because they need help it's because they need someone to take the rein or take control or get them to the next step so there was a lot of times where yeah like you feel tension maybe between you and the client and you feel like you want to take it one way and they want to take it one way but ultimately you kind of have to figure out as okay you know am i being silly and not listening to your expertise as the client in terms of like selling your product the way that you need to sell your product or are you not listening to us and that like you want to do one thing but it really wouldn't translate well so there is some of that like push and pull and kind of that tension but ultimately it's just a ton of collaborating and in correspondence to figure out you know who who's going to trust who and then uh 
what happens after that. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's definitely times the client is always right, but they wouldn't be reaching out to you if they didn't want your help, if they didn't want your expertise. So you have to know, that's something that I've learned a lot over the last three years is like, you have to know when it's okay to kind of stand up and say, yes, we could do it that way. And maybe that's the way that you feel comfortable with, but that's not the way that we would do it. Like based on what you're telling us, we wouldn't do it that way. We're gonna do it this way because it works. It's tried and true and it's always worked. So why would we change it? Or vice versa, hey, it's never worked. So we're not gonna do it that way. We're gonna do it a new way. Um, So it's just like knowing when the person has the expertise and the experience and the information and the knowledge and then knowing when you have it and when you need to share it. Um, And usually like, yes, we were a young company, but people were reaching out to us because they wanted to do things differently and they wanted to take a risk. So for a lot of the times when we were like, hey, we should try this, they were like, that's why we came to you. Like, that's why we wanted your help. That's why we wanted your services because we knew you'd have an answer um, or at least be confident enough to push something and try something. Um, So yeah, client's always right and they will get the product that they want at the end, but it should never stop you or your team or your company to just listen off the bat and just go with what the norm is, right. um, whatever the status quo is, because then everyone's going to have the same stuff. Mm. Um, so if you don't challenge it, if you don't kind of put a, not a wall up, but if you don't put up a new, um, uh, a new idea or, or really challenge an obstacle or a problem or something, then everything else is going to look the same mm-hmm. and it's going to be too smooth of a process. And ultimately they probably won't come back to you. Like if you don't stand up and if you're not confident and you're like, here's how we should do it. Why would they come back to you? Because they're ultimately just using you to then produce work. Right. And, and maybe it's as good as it can be, but you never know. Maybe it's not as good as it can be because you didn't say, hey, we're the expert here and we've done this for for time and time again, so let's try it differently. So Yeah. That's because they, they have like an anticipated solution. Uh-huh. But sometimes like the unanticipated solution could be something even greater than the anticipated Absolutely. one. I'm sure that seeing that from like a business owner standpoint and actually creating it, I bet that's extremely satisfying for you. It's, I was thinking about it actually on the way here, it was like creative problem solving is my the, my most favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you took away all the ideas of like a title to a profession, like if I was just creatively problem solving all day, doesn't matter what it is, like I would be extremely happy because mm-hmm. I think when you're going through something and there's an obstacle and then you think outside the box or you like work together and collaborate to overcome that obstacle, like that's the best feeling ever. Right. So. Like for me, it's kind of cheesy, but like I love an ex- a good escape room, like going to an escape room mm-hmm. because every single moment where you have where you get that lock or that key and you like get excited and you're like, oh, we're moving <laughs> on. Like that's what work feels like to me. Right. Um, and that's what like working with the right clients and partnering with the right people feels like because, you know, you have an obstacle in front of you, you're on set or you're traveling and something comes up and you have to all look at each other and say, how are we going to handle this? Mm-hmm. And then you unlock it and you're like, it worked, you yeah. know? Um, and sometimes that's what we were talking about where you kind of take a very standard normal path and sometimes and more times than not it's taking the path and trying something new and trying something different that you know wiggles it out and makes it fresh and new and, and exciting and mm-hmm. that's that's what I that's where I have a lot of fun with it that's awesome I love yeah. that it's a great way to look at work too like that's yeah. like a game it it's is like okay yeah how do I how do I get this one yeah mm-hmm. That should be in your LinkedIn bio, creative problem solver. Yeah. That, should, that should be your title. That's really for the it. Rest of life. That's really it. Like we were, we were filming something this weekend, and 
I just remember like little moments where, and everyone has their moment, right? But there's little moments where someone's just like, well, what if we did this? And everyone's like, it's like, boom, everyone gets a light bulb. And it's like, yes, what if we did that? And then you like go for it, right? And then it works out and everyone's like, I'm glad we did that. Like if we we wouldn't have hit that wall, we wouldn't have thought about it or that one person would have thought about it or that team wouldn't have thought about it or we wouldn't have tried something else. So um, that's the way I like to, like every single day I wake up and I start to work or I start to help people, it's like, creative problem solving like if we could win this little battle like we can get to the next step and we could win that little thing and get to the next step and get to the next step and eventually learn a lot and uh, grow together and that's what's most exciting for me mm-hmm. like that that's awesome so what are, what is uh video and the shoots and work look like now well now i'm tra- so i'm transitioning from my role from train now in eight um uh tim's taking it on spearheading it all from now on and I'm kind of kind of going back and pursuing what I had the initial interest in when I was going into college and going through my early college experience was like what would it be like to work at a creative agency or an ad agency what would it what would it look like to work with you know instead of you know two to three or four people to work with 12 to 150 people um and what is that process like so it's kind of just tackling a different monster right mm-hmm. um in in kind of getting new experiences I, i'm someone that of course i'm big into creative problem solving but i also want to learn like it's hard for me to show up and just do something over and over again and that could be anything but when you're like challenged to learn and, and new things come your way like that's when i'm really excited too so um, i want to do art direction ultimately become a creative director um is kind of my the profession in terms of the titles if, if you want to do it that way um, but ultimately like going into a new a new um, arena a new world and just working with seasoned professionals that I've never worked with before um, on accounts that are could be bigger could be smaller not entirely sure yet mm-hmm. um, but kind of just pursue um, that creative agency life and and um, ultimately see where that takes me so it's an itch I've had for you know, since my early college years, that's yeah. ultimately why I was interested in graphic design too, and and my experience in that. So now it's just kind of taking a turn and switching things up and and going from there. So I'm, a lot of a lot of my days devoted to kind of research again and trying to figure out who's out there and what's out there mm-hmm. and what's the type of work I want to do and what's the type of work that I can do at this point uh, with my years of experience or with my portfolio. And then trying to meet as many people as I can that are already in the industry and, and talk with them and get their advice and get their mm-hmm. feedback and then see if it fits with how I feel and what I believe in. And if it doesn't, then figure out what I can take from that meeting or, you know, see how it supports my thoughts of what it is or then I learn something too. So taking a lot of meetings right now and just trying to talk to so many people um, that do have ad agency mm-hmm. um, or creative agency experience and just trying to learn from them. Yeah. It's a cool process. Just learning different people, getting different viewpoints. You're mm-hmm. you're in a like a learning stage right now, going through and meeting different people. So it's um it's different than like every single day waking up and having to call the shots mm-hmm. and, and making the decisions and like confidently like going for it. Because now it's kind of one of those things where I still have to be confident and go for it when it's time, but um, sit back and say like kind of just be open minded again. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm always open minded, but kind of sit back and say tell me everything and let me absorb it and let's see what sticks right like throw it on the wall and let's see what i can learn from it and then to trying to if someone does have questions or they're interested try to then show that 
you know, I can make the decisions or I, I can be interesting in the sense that I do have industry experience still. Um, so it's like, it's this weird kind of dynamic of, look, I don't really know that much. So tell me everything. And I do know a lot about this and let me share some of that information with you too. So it's been fun. I'm, I'm each week I'm meeting someone new or a series of people that are new and just trying to honestly learn more about the city and learn more about the communities that I'm, you know, having these meetings in and then learn about their work and their life and, and what the next step is. So it's been a, it's been a fun process. Mm-hmm. That's super cool. You have to keep us updated where you yeah. end up. Yeah. Absolutely. I'd be really interested to see what, you know, who gets to grab Josh Gall. I know. It's a uh, it's fun, man. It's a uh, it's different cuz I, I still am doing work. I'm still helping out and doing work with Tim and Train on Aid and still doing work for friends and family as it comes up and uh, but then still taking meetings. So it's been this fun kind of process where it's like, I still have a ton of stuff to do, which I did not expect. Like I thought during the pr- process, it would only be dedicated to the job search process, but I'm still doing work every single day. And it's yeah. like, okay, did I have enough time to do what I, I need to do to get to the next step? So it's this, it's this kind of time management thing where it's like, mm-hmm. I need to spend the right amount of time searching for the next step and really pursuing the things that I believe in and I want to take on next but also still finding the right amount of time to give back and to help and like stay busy as well because I'm still I mean every single day I'm still building a portfolio a professional portfolio right and I'm still trying to be the best version of myself and how can I do all that at the same time of doing a job search and then transitioning out of my role and all those things so right it's fun it's uh you learn a lot from it I think it's because one thing Tim and I talk about on the show all the time is you got to make sure you're loving what you're doing Mm -hmm. and regardless of what it pays, you know, a lot of people have these golden handcuffs. That's like, if you're not loving it. So I think it's super awesome and respect that you helped grow a company to 250% in three years in growth and you're still searching for your avenue. And so it's like, Oh, he's got to figure it out. He's still doing that. So I think that's uh, pretty pretty wild. Uh, what was that kind of mindset like, or was that easier than than not? I think for me, it's it's definitely not. Nothing's really easy ever, right? right? But like, it's easier for me to say I haven't made it yet, because that's just the way like I was kind of raised. Like, you're just always working, and you're always trying to learn something new, and you're always trying to help someone. You're always trying to to give back. Um, to what to whatever capacity it is professionally not professionally um, in your community in your home like whatever it is so for me it's like yeah you can you can have some success but it doesn't mean you need to not have success after that and success is of course depends on how each person sees success but you know for me it's like how can we develop and grow and build something but then not stop what can we do next what can we do next and for me that's the approach I take is just because I've built something doesn't mean I don't want to build something else or I don't want to continue to build parallel to one another or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. So it was an easier transition for me because it was always kind of in my sights a little bit of like, what's next, what's next, what's going to happen. But I would never, at least I would like to think so. Um, it's like, I would never leave something if I didn't think it was on the right path anyways. So for me, yeah. the transition was easy because I knew I had a very strong friendship and business partnership and I knew that um, the business that I was helped that I helped build would be just as strong, if not stronger, after I left because we had taken the time to build it, right, and had given it some values and some foundation and some legs 
Um, and now it was set up in a way where Tim can run with it and li- like kind of live out his dream. So now it was just that time. It's like, cool, we've built this together. Like, I'm going to move to my next dream, and, like, we're just going to keep pushing, right? And still support each other along the way. Um, but that's just the way I like to approach everything. Like, I, I'll never stop trying to learn. That's just who I am. Like, I, I have to learn something every day, or I, I've had a bad day. Is like, at least that's the way. It's probably naive to a certain extent, but, like, I need to learn something. I need to, like, be introduced to something new. I need to be taking in different information because I don't want to become stagnant or plateau so Mm -hmm. that's just how I think so it was easy for me in the sense that I'm wired that way Mm -hmm. I love that that sounds like a great transition and as like in the present moment like looking forward as you embark on on your next journey what would you say is like the biggest thing you took away from running that business with Tim like something that you have like in your pocket right now that's going to allow you to to succeed at your next venture mm-hmm. what may not have allowed you to succeed if you would have just went straight into it for me the biggest thing was the big yeah. quiet uh, after the vent went down uh, <laughs> vent. I talk shit about that vent all, all the, the time, time. <laughs> and now you can hear the CrossFit gym nexus too yeah, so. yeah right. <laughs> so um, we're, we're transitioning out as well <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you gotta grow right mm-hmm. um, the biggest thing that I learned over the last couple of years and something that I'm extremely thankful for is the understanding that things are more accessible. And this is a risky thing to say in the sense of like, there is a little bit of, of privilege that comes with this, right? I'm fortunate enough to say this, but, um, and, I, and I'm aware of that. Um, but the, a lot of things right now, at least in my life specifically, are more accessible than I thought. Um, I think three years ago, I would never have thought like that. I would have been like, oh, I'm so, this is daunting, or I'm scared, or how do I approach this person, or do I do I reach out, or do can I do these things? And there would always be that like negative connotation or negative kind of tone, where now, once you go for it, and once you just kind of don't think about it, and just do, 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 you, you realize that if you're lucky enough, things are more accessible, um, and that things are closer to your reach than you, you ever realize. So the one thing that I'm taking with me, and I try to share that with the people around me, it was like, if you're interested in something, go for it. If you have thought about doing something for a while, just do it. Even if it's like a small part of it, like you don't have to do it full hundred percent, but start the process of doing it mm-hmm. because you'll just learn each way, like every little step you go, that it's going to be easier and easier. Right? So the biggest thing that I'm trying to kind of take with me too, is that people and places are more accessible when you think like that. And like I said, that does come from a place of being fortunate enough and having that, that privilege to understand that and to, to be welcomed into that. But like, that's something that I'm going to write out now so I can ultimately give back to people that may not have that privilege or that blessing or that fortune. So I'm going to try to reach out to as many people and do as many things as I can and then find a way to in turn give that back and give a, you know, give someone else a hand in the future too. So, um, yeah, just, you just have to go for it, whatever it is, just go for it. It's there. Like you can get it. You just have to tell yourself you can do it and then push and push and push and push. Back to attitude. Yeah. yeah. I, love attitude. I love that he said that. Because yeah. I feel like so many people are like in that position, whether they're like in a job that they're, they're, they're not sure they like and they're thinking of starting something new. Mm-hmm. Like people can take what you just said and apply it and you never know what's going to happen. You mm-hmm. just got to keep digging at something. And I think too, it's like you have to, you have to have a, you have to have something in your crosshairs, right? You have to know what you want. Mm-hmm. or what you're interested in. 
and then allow things on your journey there, to, you have to to learn from them, right? Mm-hmm. So you may get hit off path a little bit, but it doesn't mean you can't learn anything from that. Right. So even if you get slowed up or you get diverted or you have to reroute or whatever it is, is like you can learn something from that. So when you come up to that crossing again, you can take what you learned from, you know, a year ago or a step ago and apply that and try to see if it helps you get through it quicker. Um, so yeah, there's always there's always room for growth. There's always ways to, to learn. You just have to do it. You have to decide you're going to do it. If you, if you never decide it, if you're like, oh, maybe I'll do it next week, or like, it's just not going to happen. So you have to tell yourself you're going to do it and make a conscious effort to do it. So Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. I just, I just feel like I got <laughs> the most knowledge bombs dropped yeah. on my <laughs> noggin and then slapped around with the mic afterwards. Mm-hmm. And didn't even see it hit the floor next to my face. <laughs> so, that sounds brutal. But it sounds great sounds at rough. the same time. Are you time. okay? Actually, <laughs> dude, you did it. <laughs> Normally, I'd say I'm just you should checking see the in. other I'm guy, but I can't even see anymore. I'm just checking in to make sure. Yeah, right. no, I appreciate it, dude. Thanks, cuz. I'm ready to run through a wall, though. I know people are gonna get a lot oh, of good stuff awesome. from this episode. Dude, that's, I already know. I hope so. I love that mindset mm-hmm. and just growth, forever growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just not enough time not to not to try to pursue something. Whether you're interested in it or not, like not that I have a specific example, but I'm comfortable with learning about things that I don't have a specific passion about because I never know when I can bring that knowledge back up. Like we were talking earlier about the diversity of clients and projects is like there's so many people that we worked with that I never thought I'd be interested in, but now that I look back and I'm like, oh, I can take that information and apply it to mm-hmm. to this or that industry or this concept, and like, so just being willing to keep an open mind wherever you're at, whatever situation, in, like you can always apply that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, in in the moment, if you don't have an open mind, you'll never be able to have that experience. You'll never, never be able to apply it because you didn't have right. an open mind. You weren't interested in in learning in the moment. So yeah. there's always room to to learn. That's so. a great point. You never like. There's always a window of opportunity to yeah. learn. Like, and you you don't know when you're gonna need it in the future. Exactly. So and, you, and if you're not open to it, you won't get it. So you'll never mm-hmm. you'll never know it was there to begin with, right? Because yeah. you weren't willing to accept it. That's so, good. I like that. God, it's awesome. Yeah, because I. I that inspires me like within my position because I work a sales job mm-hmm. where I'm not going after a specific type of client. Like okay. we go after all types of businesses, and sometimes we get clients for like um, I don't really know to care. I've never heard of this, but mm-hmm. I want to learn about it because it's different. Yeah. Exactly. So I and you never know when you're going to use it. So when I, I love that. something I've learned too the last three years is of course the accessibility aspect, but also like you never know who you're going to meet next and like who you might have known Mm -hmm. in your last experience to then introduce them. So like the whole time kind of to add to that is like the more you learn about other um, industries, like the better you're able to make a connection for someone Mm -hmm. and help that person out and help them get through that wall and get to the next step too. So like for me, it's always like I may not need to know anything about this water bottle, but I would love to learn about this water bottle bottle, because I might learn someone that's into, you know, outdoor activities. And at some point I could connect these two people or these two products or these two concepts and like, then grow and learn from that or better someone else from it so it's like always having an, an open mind in that regard is uh-huh. i think worth it yeah yeah so. i like that that's awesome i don't know what you said what you guys think i think i'm good on this yeah i think is is there anything that you want to leave on any advice that you give to someone who is in a position where i mean you pretty much covered it yeah. this in, but is, is there anything that you want to 
leave the episode on? Any advice you give to someone who, who's in college and going through a point where they're not sure what they want to do yet? Um, I think the biggest thing for me was like even if I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, it was like being willing to like help other people that know what they want to do get to where they want to go in the meantime. Like yeah. it's definitely not something you want to do all the time because then you're kind of maybe living someone else's life or whatever. But like if you're kind of lost or confused or you're not really sure what's going on, is like it's okay to help the other people around you and, and give back in certain ways to people that you know need that little extra effort need that little bit of help because you may learn something or you may understand something differently when you when you do give that mm-hmm. um, when you do give your time when you do give your energy when you do give your knowledge and I think I did a lot of that in college where maybe there was some time where I wasn't necessarily interested in specific things or I wasn't chasing a dream or whatever it was but I knew people around me were so it was like cool how can I help you today Mm -hmm. and maybe in turn I'll learn something or maybe in turn I will grow or maybe in turn I will be interested in something else um, by helping by helping you right Right. so um, if I would just say to people that feel lost or um, feel confused or aren't sure what's next for them is like look around you and like if you can help someone get to their next step like that's probably not a bad thing to do in the meantime. Yeah. It's okay great. to give. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. Absolutely. You just gave me the boomstick, too. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> now I'm not okay. <laughs> now I'm not okay. Finish, He's gonna be finish him. TKO. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Josh, we really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, dude, thank you so it's much. This was a blast. Where, uh, thanks where for can people me. find you? Beat me um, to it. Hit me up on Instagram is something I, I go to every single day. So um, at Joshua Gall on Instagram, uh, Facebook, mm-hmm. um, LinkedIn. If you want to connect with me, if you if you want to talk more of me, uh, feel free to reach out to me through any of those those avenues, and and I'll be there, and mm-hmm. we'll meet up or we'll talk after that. Ladies and gentlemen, master creator. He brings things to life with his visuals. <laughs> he makes the ordinary extraordinary. Oh, I like that. Oh. You're hype man over wow. here. Josh Gall. Thank you, guys. Until next time. Thank you so much.